Well, good morning. good morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is the second of last uh, chapters here in our study in the series called Counterculture. And uh, we're kind of bringing it into a close in the next few weeks here as Paul has been um, writing these letters to the church in Corinth and teaching us through them is very relevant for us today to look at this. And this is a text that I've been looking forward to myself and preaching through, and so we're going to just jump right in. Um, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 uh, in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians there. But before we do, let's uh, say this together, an affirmation of things we believe about the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit. I pray that especially today that God uh, would just speak to our hearts. Our pursuit is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to be a biblically functioning community. We will not shy away from the Word of God. We will embrace it as truth, no matter how painful it is to our souls or how countercultural it is to our souls. We will follow the King into eternity. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 10. Uh, you'll notice a very famous verse in verse 9 here that we'll look at this morning. Paul is gun- continuing in his letter in defense of ministry and uh, the boasting that he's made. And he picks up in verse 1 here and says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on, behalf of, on my own behalf I will not boast except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I, am, I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being coming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities for when I am weak then I am strong I invite you to just pray that God's grace would be known to you and that you would know it as completely sufficient you pray as we begin and I'll pray for us collectively Father in heaven we do worship you in your splendor and your grace and your power, and we do pray that we would find great contentment in whatever you bring into our lives, and that you would strengthen us now as a people, that we would know that you are for us, as we read, not against us, and that the love of Christ uh, is overwhelming to us, and I pray that we would know it well this morning, and I pray that you would just move among us as the Spirit guides and leads and challenges and convicts and reminds and encourages And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. Last week we said this, beware of the weakness of strength and embrace 
the strength of weakness. As I've shared many times before, uh, and many of you know this, the last 10 years have been a struggle, trials up and down with Josiah and his life, our fourth child, 10 years old, and uh, many trials, heartaches, and unknowns. And then I would say many stretching moments of our faith, many times of peacefulness and great contentment. And May 30th, 2010 kind of started that journey. A lot of you know this story, but I can remember two really notable, spiritually challenging moments in the last 10 years that I want to tell you about this morning. Um, and they, they each involved a certain song. And I remember when I first heard this song, I couldn't stand it. I wanted to turn it off, and I'll tell you about that in a second. Um, and then fast forward eight years later, I kind of resolved to the message of this particular song. If we go all the way back into uh, 2010 when Josiah was born, he was born at the end of May. He was born about a month early. I'm not going to give you the whole detail of his life. That would take too long, but give you a little timeline so we can get to the story here. He was born in the spring, and then in the fall, he started missing normal milestones that you would see for a kid his age, five, six months. And we started to learn more about the struggles that he would face. You go around the winter into the spring, and he had a G-tube place for his feeding, and then he had another surgery on his spine uh, for a tethered cord. And then we went through the summer uh, into the fall. He started getting pneumonias and uh, really struggling with some respiratory stuff. And then if you go into the winter where he had these pneumonias, we, we, uh, we had a lot of chest x-rays. And you go to February 12th, 2012. I'll never forget the day. I'll never forget the month, really. February 12th was a day that they had found a chest x-ray that his spine was curved, deformed, 90 degrees. And I remember sitting in Dr. Noonan's office when we were seeing this and said we had to go see him. He had already fixed his club feet. And I remember the phrase he said, and I'll never forget it because it was piercing. He said, you know, we found this scoliosis. It's really bad. If we need to do a major surgery, without it, he will perish. I remember that, that phrase he said, if you ever hear that from a doctor about your child, it was just like heart-wrenching. And so we were emotional about that, and of course we were moved by that, but we, even though we had trusted Dr. Noonan with the care for his club feet, which he was born with, we wanted a second opinion, and he was super gracious. So he set it up for us to go to Shriners Hospital in Chicago. And I remember these guys were one of the best in scoliosis. And we went to Chicago and we met with them. And I remember there were so many people praying about that day because we were just praying for a miracle. And we were praying for answers, anything but what Dr. Noonan said. And we went there and I remember we went there and we, it was surreal in a way. We sat in their office and the two doctors, these specialists in the country said, there's nothing we could do. Now, in hindsight, we learned that that was God's sovereign hand pushing us back towards Madison and all the care that he would receive. But I remember that we left that appointment. We went into the parking lot in tears, and we started to drive away. And I remember this song coming on. And I got so angry with the lyrics that I turned it off. It's Christian radio, this song, Blessings, and I didn't want to hear it. Here were some of the lyrics when your blessings come through raindrops, what if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if the trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? We pray for wisdom, your voice to hear. We cry in anger when we cannot feel you near. We doubt your goodness, we doubt your love, as if every promise of your word is not enough. And I just sat there and I dialed that one down. I said, I want to hear that. I always remember so, being so angry 
with God and what we were walking through and why would he let this happen? Now, we would eventually go back to Dr. Noonan to start uh, Josiah's surgery and the next eight years would be full of ups and downs. And I'll share about that second moment in a little bit here. But what Paul is driving at in the text is he's defending here his boasting, and he's not boasting about his achievements anymore, although he kind of takes a little bit of a turn, but his own weakness. When we start chapter 12, he has, he has said, I'm a Benjamite from the tribe of Israel. He's memorized the whole scriptures, but he's defending this boasting, and he's not interested in his achievements, but his weakness. And then when he starts chapter 12, he kind of takes a turn back in this text that we read, highlighting something that he has that no one else can make claim of, these revelations these visions, heard things that cannot be repeated or uttered. He says, I must go on boasting, though there would be nothing to gain by it. I'll go on to these visions and revelations. And then he speaks in the third person, which is really interesting. He talks about a man that he said in verse 2 there, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. He's talking about this event 14 years ago. He is talking about himself. And I don't know all the reasons scholars have debated on this, why he's distanced himself in the third person from telling it this way. And he says, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. And God knows. So in other words, he's had these visions, these revelations that he doesn't even know if he was present for, kind of much like Revelation as a book when John was given the revelation uh, and saw all that was going to happen in the end times. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or the body, out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which may not which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except in my weaknesses. Can you imagine the experience? And this is something that many, most, cannot lay claim to. And Paul's had this super spiritual experience that these Corinthians would have related to. Remember, that it's all about puffed up knowledge and spiritual experience and ecstasy, ecstasy and the gifts and all that stuff. And here he has it. And he says, no, I'm not gonna, I could boast, but I'm not going to, so I'm going to concentrate on the weaknesses. Paul keeps it there. Now, it's interesting. Paul, as an apostle, was quite sufficient and adequate. But see, we live in the age of self-made adequacy, sufficiency as a people. We say all the time, we're sufficient as a people. We have enough to get the job done. And Paul probably could have argued, I have enough to get the job done, especially in light of that spiritual moment. And not only do we, when we struggle with that, appear though we have our lives together, we also want to appear to have to put that we have our lives together better than most. If we're being honest, we like to put on the facade and put on this idea, this facade that we're we're really, really put together better than most. We can do everything on our own. We create, we create this inward drive to achieve such things. And Paul here has reason to boast in his own sufficiency and adequacy as an apostle. But he doesn't. He's latching on to the weakness here. And even though he could boast, he says it'd be foolish. Why? In verse 6, here's the point. If I should boast, wish to boast, I would, I would I would not be a fool because he would be speaking the truth about what happened, but I refrain from it so that no one, listen to this, no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. The translation there, no one would think more of him than they ought to, that he would get out of his way because here's the problem. If they saw him, they wouldn't see the one who Paul so desperately wanted them to see. 
and that was Jesus. They didn't, he didn't want them to see his self-sufficiency and his adequacy. So to keep that from happening, as God often does for us, verse 7, a thorn in the flesh is given in order that Paul won't get in the way of himself. And God calls for suffering then in this life, in this thorn of life. He calls for suffering from the thorn. Thorns are painful. In order that this, and that's the first of my two points today, what makes you most sufficient or conceited, as Paul says, is the thing that can keep you from being most dependent upon the power of Christ. What makes you most sufficient is the thing that keeps that can keep you from being most dependent on the power of Christ. Whatever hard thing that you're going through in this life, God has a plan and purpose. Now let me stop briefly and just talk about suffering. We are often a people, and I would say Christians largely, are often a people that are somewhat surprised by suffering when things happen and we're surprised by it. The scriptures say we shouldn't be. I love this quote from R.C. Sproul. He says, suffering is not at all uncommon. But it is also not at all random. It is sent by our Heavenly Father who is both sovereign and loving for our ultimate good. Indeed, I want you to understand that suffering is, he calls it, a vocation. A calling from God. Now you and I as believers, if you know Christ, want to have a strong faith. We all aspire to have a strong faith. That's what we desire. We want to be faithful to the Lord. But faith is not a constant thing, is it? It wavers in our lives. It's kind of circumstantial, if you will, at times. It can waver between extreme moments of contentment and praise for God and deep, harsh, trying times that push us to the rim of despair. And suffering is one of the most significant challenges to any believer's faith when suffering comes. And Paul knew about this. That's why he wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. We are afflicted in every way. We covered this earlier, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always, always carrying in the body of the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Paul wasn't talking about just a small group of people. He was talking about believers this is the way of the believer, always carrying around this weightiness in this world, always being tried, always being pressed, always being pushed like, like we're going to break. At times we don't feel like we can do anymore, can't go any further. When trials come, we near our end, and then this expression, we've heard it before, one thing happens, another thing happens, and then this other thing, when it rains, it pours, and that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. Do you know where that expression came from? Camels would carry straw, and they just, they, they had a lot of weight they could carry, but there's at times just too much straw that the camel would just be crushed under the weight of it. The straw that broke the camel's back, and we feel like that, and how much more could I take? We often think we can't bear what God brings into our lives. But here's the thing. Just like that one straw that we think will crack us, break us, ruin us, God knows our limits better than we do. What we think we can't handle, God determines for us. That's what this text is saying. He knows us better than we know ourselves. What makes you most sufficient is the thing that can keep you from being most dependent upon the power of Christ. 
And God wants us to depend on the power of Christ. So much so that in his sovereign love and care, he brings these challenges in. You see, we are a people that are plagued by our own sin of self-sufficiency. We don't rely on the power of Christ in all things. At times we say, we're doing pretty good. And we start to look inward to our own strength and we start to look inward to our own ability and sufficiency because God has given us gifts and abilities, right? I mean, he did it for Paul. Look at this. Paul is a gifted speaker, even though he couldn't speak as well. He's, pow- he's got power in the gospel. These gifts cannot be argued. He's just seen visions and revel- revelations. So how does God remind us to acknowledge his generosity and to rely on his strength when he's given us such God-given marvelous abilities, in this case for Paul? How does God prevent the arrogance of more than enough adequacy and the sin of self-sufficiency? He gives us this nagging reminder of our own weakness. Again, not because he is a mean God, but because he wants to show his power in and through us. And he wants to make his glory known through our lives. Verse 7, so to keep me from being coming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, the gifts, the visions, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. A Greek word here for thorn is uh, scallops, which could have been used as either a stake, most likely, rather than a splinter that was nagging, a stake that was pinning Paul to the ground, if you will. This heavy, weighty thing that he felt like was drove into his being, this messenger from Satan to harass him. Now, there's speculation in scholarship about what that was for him. Some say because he said later in Galatians, I took the own pen from a scribe, and look what large letters that it was his eyesight. Some people think he had something like glaucoma. Some people thought it could have been something different, a physical ailment that he had, uh, whether it's speech-related. Some people think maybe mental anxiety, whatever it was, there's enough speculation to go around. It was a messenger of Satan to harass him. It was too much for him at times, as he's saying, The point is that it was given by God, but under the sovereign care of God for Satan to test him. God doesn't test, Satan does, for him to be harassed. Think of like Job, when when Satan goes before God and says, God basically gives him Job, like turns over his righteous servant, you can do everything but kill him. And he harasses him with boils and and sickness and his friends betrayal and all this stuff. And God was in control all of it because he had purpose for it. Now we don't know exactly what it was, but one thing we do know is that Paul didn't want it. Look at verse 8. You can resonate with this, you and I. I know we can. Three times, or 30, but three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. You can almost see the Apostle Paul begging for God's mercy in this as you and I beg for God's mercy for times of trial to just be gone from our lives. This is something we can relate to when something comes into our lives that is painful or annoying or debilitating. We often beg God to take it away. Worse than that, we cry out in confusion right? Over goodness, over his goodness and mercy, the God we know, the God we read about, the God we so desire. And why is this happening to me? Have you ever said that? Why is this happening to me? Have you ever uttered that, prayed that, screamed that? 
Why is this happening to me? If you have, you're in good company. I've done it many times. But it leads me to the second point that I want to make today. When the question is asked, why is this happening to me? It's not about the this or the me. Think about that. When we say, why is this happening to me? It is often not about the this or even about the me. It's about something bigger than you. It's about what God is doing in you and through you. It's about the power of Christ resting on you. Think about the way of Jesus. Think about this. Go here with me for a moment. Jesus himself was hard-pressed, but was he crushed? Now, we'd be tempted to, th- to say that he was. Yes, he died. But even him, he gave himself up in his own death. Do you remember the story? It was him who surrendered his spirit to God. So much so in that, that story that he was beaten in a way that historians can hardly fathom the impossibility that not a bone in his body was broken. Think about that. As the prophecy said, even towards the end of his own death, and normally the centurion, the soldiers would go and crack the bones of the legs in order for all the weight of the cross to be held and for them to lose their breath. And no, they didn't do it. They did the spear in the side. Not a bone in his body was broken. You think of that a coincidence? Jesus himself was the one who laid down his life. Jesus knew struggle. He knew thorns. He was crowned with it. He was in the garden pleading with God to take it away. If there is any other way. Can you hear him saying, why is this happening to me? And what was God's answer to Jesus' desire to take this bitter cup away? His answer back was the Father's will. And the way of suffering was the Father's plan. Look at verse uh, 42 in Luke 22. Saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup pleading from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus qualified his prayer. If it is your will. What's interesting about this is Jesus, he, he didn't name it or claim it. He was called to drink the cup and he submitted to it. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The nevertheless was the supreme prayer of faith. What we see here in the father's and son's relationship, although each part of the Godhead, is the son submitting to the father's will. In other words, no one tells the father what to do, not even the son. So it's this model of faith that you and I can learn in to trust in God's good and loving plan that God knows best. He must. And so Jesus' response was there was no cursing, as it is often from us. There was no bitterness, as we often give back to God. Once the Father said no, it was settled. And it's a time like this, this story and the one Paul shares that you and I can learn from this. There's times when we hear back a different answer from God, just like Paul heard. Paul pleaded three times and God said, no. We need to do what John Piper so beautifully quoted, a quote my wife has shared several times about grief during this trial. He says it this way, occasionally weep deeply over the life you hoped would be. Grieve your losses. Then wash your face. Trust God and embrace the life you have. 
When we ask, why is this happening to me? We must remember it's not about the this. And it is not about the me. And so don't be surprised by it. In fact, God's word says that in 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13, it reads it this way. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's not strange. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when what? When his glory is revealed. Don't be surprised by it. In fact, welcome it as Paul then learned to welcome it and rejoice in it because God's glory is being revealed. Paul had debilitating physical struggles, maybe mental struggles. We saw that last week, the anxiety had. Whatever his thorn was, it was countless external trials in his life. And the astounding success of his ministry then could only be attributed to the grace of God. Because he struggled in this way where he said, I ought to welcome this because I ought to rejoice in this because the glory of God would be revealed through this. Which is why Jesus' words and Paul's answer back was not about the thorn. Jesus said, Paul, it's not about you. Verse 9. These are red letters here. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Jesus speaking that back to Paul. Paul, this is not about you. This is not the this. It's not the me. My grace, Jesus' grace, sufficient for Paul, for us. My power, the power of Jesus, sufficient, perfect for you in your weakness. Do you know that as a promise for the believer? That's a promise. You read that, that's a promise for the believer. Jesus didn't just speak that to Paul. He spoke it in his word, which means he speaks it to every believer. It's a promise for those who are in Christ. It's sufficient. It's perfect. It's not just a good thing. It's the best thing for us. Now, the grace and power of Christ isn't sufficient and perfect like when you're doing a work project, like tiling a floor or something, and you get to the end of the project, right, and you're just placing that last tile, and you look at the box, and there's one left. It's not like that. That's neat, and that's great, and that means you did your planning at Home Depot, Menards, wherever you did it well, but it's not like that. It's way beyond that. It's more like when you feel like you can't go another step or get out of bed in the morning, or endure another doctor's appointment with more bad news, or another round of chemo, or another bitter loss. And the spirit inside you groans in your weakness, praying for words that you, don't even, you can't even say yourself. And you fall on your knees weeping before God, and he meets you there, and he strengthens you, and he draws your heart back to praise because it's about his glory and his name, not yours. Which is why Paul could declare this last part in the end of verse 9 into 10. Therefore, which is always a response, right? I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ then. Look what he says. I am content. I am happy and I am satisfied in with the weaknesses, the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, the calamities. For when I am weak, 
then I am strong. Paul was content. You and I struggle so much in contentment with circumstance. 2020 has been a stretch in that, has it not? And Paul says, I'll rejoice in it because I know that the power of Christ will rest on me. All these bad things, all the, why is this happening to me? I will find true contentment because when I am weak, when I am at my lowest, such is the nature of Christian life. It's always paradoxical. I'm at my strongest because Jesus' strength is what I'm operating from. What makes you and I most sufficient is the thing that can keep you from being most dependent upon the power of Christ. And it is not about the this or the me. Remember I told you there was another moment about this song. If you fast forward from 2012 to this spring, this early part of this year in May, many of you know Josiah had a major surgery as we got to uh, this graduated surgery that came about from the hook on his pelvis being uh, misplaced and kind of went from like, let's modify to like, let's do the big one. And, and the surgery went well, as many of you know. It was, we knew it was going to be painful. We knew it was going to be the most painful thing in which he's still in many ways recovering and has some really painful days along the way. But I remember the moment for me that I'll describe now is uh, when Carrie called. I wasn't at the hospital at the time in his recovery, and many of you know this, is when she called and said he has the infection. And I remember hearing that on the phone. And I just, I mean, be honest with you, 10 years of his life, we, we don't know that he's long for this world. And that was a moment I thought, this is how it's all going to end. I've been thinking about this for 10 years. How is it all going to end? And I think this is it. This is the moment. And I remember getting in the car and I drove to Madison and Carrie was upset. And, you know, they, they did a pretty good job scaring the daylights out of us. I'll put it that way. The seriousness of what they were saying in this infection. And so I remember I got in the car and I got on Interstate 94 and I started to go there. Now keep in mind, Bella and I had been listening to this song on, uh, on our iPod. Her, I think she was always putting it on, Blessings. And this time was different because I remember I didn't want to turn it off. I remember I wanted to turn it on. I had resolved eight years later. I queued it up with tears rolling down my face and I remember praying this. Lord, this has always been about you. This has always been about what you're doing. So whatever it is, I know it'll be a blessing. Whatever that is. And this isn't today about a song and I don't share those experiences because it's about a song. And sometimes people say, well, God just like grew me through a song. Like God grows you through the word. This was about the message of the song towards God's word in truthfulness of what the song comes from, his promises. And this message is not about the this and it's not about the me. It's about God being glorified. It's about the verse I pray for Josiah every morning in John 9, 3. When, when Jesus approaches the paralytic and says, who, who sinned, his mom or dad? He said, no, that the works of God might be displayed in him. That's what I pray for him every morning, that the works of God might be displayed in him. It's about the blessings of God. I just want you to take a moment to sit before God, and I want to pray, and then I just want you to sit before God and just reflect as this song is, I want to just play it for you. I want you to listen to the words. Because I, I just realize that we're in a season, especially this year, where we have all kinds of trials before us. And I think, Christian, it's going to get harder. 
And what if this is not about the this and it's not about the me? And I don't know what's going on in all of your lives. I know what's going on in many of your lives. And I know that God is good and that he loves. And it's about his glory. And so I just want you to sit here. I'm going to pray for us and we're just going to listen. Just take a pause. We don't get to do this often. To just sit before God and give him your heart. And then we'll close together with the song at the end. Father in heaven, we pray that we would be like Paul with our response and contentment as we just sit and reflect and listen to the words of this song, God, that we would that you would do something in our hearts. Strengthen our faith, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. And all the while, you hear each spoken need. Yet love is way too much to give us lesser things. Cause what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if trials of this life your mercies in disguise we pray for wisdom your voice to hear and we cry in anger when we cannot feel you near we doubt your goodness we doubt your love as if every promise from your word is not enough and all the while you hear each desperate plea and long that we'd have faith to believe cause what if your blessings come Betray us and 
Not too many songs make me ball like a baby. It's tough. There's, there's hardship, there's trials, there's weary moments, but God's grace is sufficient for us. His power is made perfect in our weakness. And I pray, as I'm going to pray now, that if you do not know Christ, you would accept his invitation to come and lay down all that struggle at the feet of Jesus and accept the free gift of salvation. He knows suffering. He knows it well. And he carried all that we could not bear in our own sin and the payment for it. And he took it on himself and he took it to the tree. And he shed his blood for us so that you and I could know grace, all-sufficient grace, so that you and I could have power, perfect power, so that you and I could know him in the power of his resurrection that we could have new life. One day there'll be no more sad days. And that is in Jesus alone and our faith in him because of what he has done. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are the Lord and you reign over all things. And so Father, in our weakness, we come to you having heard the truth of your word again, that you are good and love, having heard the gospel once again, that Jesus has taken sin on himself and gave up his own life for us so that we could know you and be reconciled to you, that so we could long for an eternity with you, free of sin and hardship and pain. And Father, what, what happens in this life is not about the this. And it's not about the me. And I pray that you would bury that into our souls, that it's about you, your glory, your name, your glory being revealed, that we should rejoice in these things. As hard as it is, that we should submit to them, find contentment in them, because we know that you're working. We know that it's a blessing. And so, Father, I pray that we'd bless your name, that we'd even rejoice as we sing about your greatness now, that you reign over all things, that we would sing it with joy, lift our heads. I pray for those who are struggling right now, struggling in their faith, weary, that you would lift their heads as we were called to worship this morning, that we would lift all of our heads towards you, the King of glory. May you be honored and praised and glorified. The Lord reigns, he reigns indeed.